Harvey V, and welcome to the Clever Hybrids Podcast. Every season, we interview 12 bilingual professionals from around the world to hear their tips and to help you thrive in this multidimensional world. Let's jump right into the episode. So we're here with Andile Nopapasa. This is going to be our first interview with someone directly in the motherland in South Africa. So we're happy to have you with us here, Andile. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day. Thank you so much, Kerry, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Even in the pre-interview we did before we started recording, I had done a little bit of research on you, but then you filled in some blanks and I was like, what? <laughs> so this is going to be a very interesting discussion. I hope, I hope it will be. I'm very excited for it as well. Yeah, South Africans are some amazing peeps. Even if you know a little bit of their history, but as a men- mechanical engineer in training from the University of Johannesburg, first I want to ask how you're doing, because there's a lot of drama going on in South Africa right now with the President Zuma riots, COVID. They already had problems with the legacy of apartheid a little bit. Every country is having some issues that have been magnified by COVID. So how are things over there? I would say things for the majority of what's happening. And thank you so much, first and foremost, for that introduction and taking the time. We've been learning about each other quite a lot and I appreciate that. But I would say first and foremost, the situation in South Africa, it's one where people have taken matters into their own hands in terms of what we are seeing now, it's a bottom up type of movement where it is the community that's saying, no, not with our infrastructure, not with our livelihoods, we will rebuild our country. It's hard enough as it is. So we'll protect what we currently have. We'll clean up after the mess we have made. Yes, we do make mistakes as a community, but right now it's the time to build. That's what we are currently seeing now as South Africans. There was a period of, uh, in time where I was very shy to say that I am one because of the chaos that was happening. But after a few conversations with friends and also observing what, how things have played out, I'll say that I'm proud to be one because I've seen the resilience of our people and how going forward, people who don't have resources, people who don't have the political might, the connections are saying, you know what, I have a home in my house and I have children with me who are active and are not going to school. Let's go clean up the neighborhood. So I've been admiring that a lot. Yeah, it's been amazing. Even watching some of the limited stuff we have on BBC, there were people who formed a community watch group and they weren't letting any of the rioters into their neighborhood. So it's a lot of teamwork that's happening. But teamwork is not as easy as it seems. South Africa, just like any other country, is not a homogenous society. It has many different ethnic groups, tribes, people from different backgrounds. Even the country itself has, is it 11 national languages? Yes, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's a lot. Very <laughs> it's a very diverse nation. And I could only imagine from maybe uh, an outsider's point of view to say, how, how many languages do you guys have? But from an insider's point of view, it's very interesting. Because as you go to many different parts of the country, you get to see how people interact with different languages. So where I am from, which is almost the economic center of South Africa, Gauteng, the state or the province of Gauteng, 
you had a lot of people going there because of the gold mines that were discovered there. So now we have lots of other clans that came together in order to work at those places. So what you would often find in Gauté is maybe their home language, Susutu, and also that speaks Tulsa because in that community, your next door neighbor is Tulsa. Many different ethnicities living with each other. And then when you get out of Gauté and then you go into the more uh, remote areas, then you see more of homogenized uh, societies. So now you need to navigate and know how to handle it. In some instances, you find that people speak their own language and they don't speak any English at all. And even for the Caucasian and South Africa, there are some communities where you go there and they only speak Afrikaans. That's the only language that they instructed in school. That's the only language that they speak at home. And the people that they interact with, even as black South Africans, it's Afrikaans. You might find a Caucasian male or Caucasian female in South Africa surprising you with a a bit of Sutu, Zulu, Tulsa. It's a very diverse and dynamic society. We hear about Afrikaans sometimes in school in North American Europe, but what exactly is it? It's not a, a indigenous African language. So what is it exactly? Yeah, so Afrikaans, I don't know what's the correct word. It kind of evolved from the original Dutch settlers who came here in South Africa. If you listen to the Dutch language itself, you can pick up uh, a bit of Afrikaans, a lot of words in there. The sentence structure is almost the same. Even the manners in which uh, people speak is almost the same. I like in Afrikaans, Dutch language, and also German language to be almost in the same bucket because they're very direct. There's not a whole lot of uh, euphemism, if you could say. So it's very direct to the point, very precise. So Afrikaans, it's uh, a descendant. It's very interesting. What about your mother tongue? I'm try to say Thick. Say it. Say it one more time. So how about your mother tongue? What is the grammar like? How many speakers are there? It's, it's a tos, as you can tell, has a lot of clips, but similar to Isizulu, it is very poetic. So it has a lot of items, it has a lot of expressions that they use in order to describe a, a couple of things, a lot of proverbs. So if anyone in South Africa were learning this Tulsa and they would speak it coming from a township perspective, it would be difficult for them to transition into that because the original Tulsa, which people from the Eastern Cape speak, is much more uh, poetic. It's not very direct when it comes to the words expressed, but it's a very fun language to speak. and. One thing I'm liking currently about the culture in South Africa, the musical culture, is that, or the pop culture, the night lifestyle, is that you see a lot of closer phrases being used. It's like a, a cool language. And that's what I'm liking about South Africa right now is that we're seeing our own indigenous languages featuring pop culture. I speak closer when I'm at home. So primarily my grandmother's house, my grandmother's house. Then also when it comes to elderly family members, that's where I speak because most of the time, because of how things are structured in my home states, how they, I normally speak Isuzu. And yeah. how was that growing up having a home language and a school language? Did you have trouble switching back and forth? I think it was fluid. For most South Africans that grew up in a non-homogenized community, it is very fluid. I think it comes in harder later in life. Like right now, I tried learning Shivenda, which is another language in South Africa, one of the 11. 
Now that became hard because as we grow up, we tend to become more rigid, become more afraid of saying the wrong thing. But at five years old, we're reading small English books that were brought by my aunts and my grandma. That was much easier speaking close or emulating what my grandma was saying. That was much easier going to a couple of friends that were non-closer and speaking in Suzuki or Sibiri. That was much, much easier. So I would say it's very advantageous if you grew up in that type of society where there's five languages that just circulating around. It enables you for later in life to be able to interact with almost everyone and be able to not only interact with the language, but also interact with the culture. There's another thing in South Africa as well. There's still a lot of African tradition that is still in there. So even though majority in terms of a demographic point of view are practicing Christians, you find that there's still a lot of African folk tradition that is in there. So I think it's very advantageous to grow up in that environment. And it's very nice to even hear about the mixing of the cultures. It's now coming up almost 30 years since apartheid was ended. Do you still feel some of the legacy in your day-to-day or not as often now? A lot of it is context. So from a big picture, yes, you still see that effects of apartheid. I would say without expressing a polarizing opinion, I would say most of it has become the transfer of governance, the transfer of skills. That's another thing too, the transfer of education. Because as we know, apartheid was a system whereby there was segregation across different sectors. So settlement, you, you were dictated as to where you would stay. So that's why you have townships in South Africa, which most of the time are further away from the city centers. So like the township that I'm from is Guatemala, also a mining town, but then that town is a further 60K kilometers away from the city center where all of the businesses happen. So what you will see back in the days, if you trace back South African history, is that a lot of our parents, a lot of our grandparents, if they were working in the city center by a certain time, they were supposed to be out of and for weekends, maybe they wouldn't conduct their shopping. They wouldn't be able to conduct any leisure activities that maybe the other groups were privileged to have. So you still see that. So a lot of young professionals in South Africa, if they are watching this, most likely they are living in the outskirts of the townships and transportation to go into the city is very hard for them. So those are some of the things in terms of uh, infrastructure point of view, town planning point of view. And also education, because we also see it in how schools are governed and, and, and all of that. Because another legacy of the apartheid regime as well was that people were capped at the ninth grade. So there were only certain careers that we were limited to do. So I have stories from my grandma. She would tell me that whether you were going to be a teacher, a policeman, or a nurse, or a lawyer, or a doctor, it is still a legacy that we are trying to fight. And same thing with the current situation that we're in. We can't do it only by pointing fingers and further dividing the nation. No, we can just do it by helping whoever we can. So your brother, your sister, going and volunteering and teaching people maths, science, technology. If you can do that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait to see what you guys come up with next, the next generation. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure, right? We are only trying. <laughs> yeah, even trying is better than not doing anything. So that's already a plus right there. 
Thank you. It's true. But it's amazing how you mentioned those who have had opportunities, they need to go back and share that with the community. A documentary I saw recently with Zainab Badawi that was talking about the history of Africa. Many of the experts that they interviewed from different research societies all across the continent, they said one of the main issues that is still affecting Africa's development is, of course, colonialism, that mindset, but that many still have the scarcity mindset, which like, I have to think about today and only about me. And what's the third thing they mentioned? And also just taking the quickest option, not really focusing on long term. So have you seen that change in your generation or still working on it? I'll be honest, I've seen it change with me personally. I'll admit that I also had that uh, mindset to say, if I secure myself, secure my family, I'll probably immigrate to maybe a European country and I'll be set up in a different type of currency and things like that. But I had my thoughts challenged by a good friend of mine, and we had a very lengthy conversation about this. So my friend was trying to say that, look, you, you can't change the road infrastructure on your own. It's just only one guy, only one young man. But there's someone who's looking at you without you noticing. And there's someone in your community that might be struggling with one small item, you helping that small item will, will, will yield exponential results for them. And I see this now with kids that are two or three years younger than us. It's a very humbling experience when you, you, you pick it up that they are trying to emulate something that you did. Like in my community, there were people that went to higher education before us. So I completed my high school in 2030. So there were people that completed before us, but we didn't have access to those people. anymore. So they moved to the suburbs and never seen them again. And growing up, we didn't have that interaction with our peer group that matriculated or uh, moved from grade 12 in, in that era. We are able to have interactions with the younger peer group and not make them feel like they're younger peer group. And I wouldn't create credit this to myself. I don't know how that happened, but the results are absolutely amazing because we're seeing these younger guys and girls doing careers and doing things that are way more than what we would have imagined. And this friend of mine made this example to me to say that, now look, if you do that with two people, Look at how much change it will to two families. Now, if you look for ways to scale that and do it with 10 families, 100 families, maybe you could plant something in their mind such that they will be able to bring what was happening in Johannesburg to Springs. And with working from home and people studying from home, this is definitely what I'm seeing. Being exposed to different ideas because we are more tethered to the internet. We are communicating with each other. I held that idea to say that I'm just also killing myself and move to a much more affluent continent. But then I also had that self-reflection and that correction from a friend to say that, no, you can't change everything, but the small that you can change, even though it's going to be difficult, try to do that. Yeah, that's excellent. We have a term for it now, brain drain, where everybody learns and then they move away. But it's not just colonial societies that have been doing that, at least not recent time colonial societies. Different kingdoms have been doing that for thousands of years to keep the people who are under, to keep them there. 
So we have to overcome that mindset if we're going to continue to improve ourselves. So I'd say that's absolutely true. And let's see it in the smallest of things. What I tend to do these days is to, is to scale back my thinking because the danger of ambitious thinking, especially when you come from a society that battles a lot of systemic things, is that you tend to neglect the impact that you would have and you tend to neglect small things that you can. Right? So the phrase cleaning up your room really speaks to because you are then downscaling to say, okay, wait, yes, there is the whole issue of education in South Africa and literacy and all of those things. Yes, there's that. And how can I start from my own house? I have siblings and the elders of four children. So how can I start that culture for my own house? And how can I encourage my own siblings to teach that to their friends? Or maybe their friends see by mistake and they try to emulate. And with these platforms that we have, like podcasts and things like that, what can I share on there that someone else can press the share button and share it to another person? So I think with those type of uh, systemic issues, it's best to downscale and network effect and take care of themselves. Yeah, that's a good reminder. You don't have to be Elon Musk or have a million <laughs> followers or start an NGO to do something. True. That's true. And you've already been doing a lot. You have your podcast, Push Start, and also the productivity tips that you've been sharing on LinkedIn. So we might feel like, yeah, it's not anything special, but for someone else it'd be like, I needed that so much. Thank you for sharing that with me. So you never know. Yeah, even some of these I learned from you. I was like, ah, okay. I had to use this one actually this past weekend. <laughs> Okay. Because you had a, a post about preventing a bad moment from be, being a bad day, week, month, or quarter. And I had to use that this weekend because of, I just, we're now almost to the end of year two of the pandemic. And a lot of the plans that I had didn't go the way I was thinking they were going to go. And last week I was getting so frustrated. Then I saw your post and I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the weekend and not think about it and try and figure out what is exactly that I'm frustrated about and move on. But that was from your point. So who knows who else that helped, but it did help me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm the originator of, of that particular point. Maybe I just took a sound bite from a lot of the stuff that I read. But mostly I would attribute it to Stoicism, Greek philosophy. Yes, it's not perfect how I've been handled in the past three years, not, not two years, because I would say the difficulty for me on a personal level started in 2019, right when I started fixing difficulty with my studies and paying for them, I would say. So that's where it all started. That's where I stumbled across uh, Stoicism. And thank you so much that you came across the post and shit someone else and that's the the culture that we are trying to to uh, promote so in essence stoicism and this is something that i included in the link we asked me a question that i'd like to speak about it. there are many different types of languages and philosophy is a language of life that's how you perceive it how you hear it how you see it and then also how you speak your mind into it and you speak your actions into it so with stoicism the main underlying core principle would say that things happen. 
And bad things happen to everyone. Happens to good people, happens to not so good people. But then again, there are principles that guide you and how to navigate this very changing world. So whether it's global pandemic, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's floods, yes, some of it is not your fault. Some of it you never have guessed how it's going to impact you. But there are certain things, certain principles that you can apply. So for example, to the issue of not letting a bad moment dictate your week or dictate your month. There are certain instances where a very unexpected event comes into your life, yet you still have to carry out your daily responsibilities. You still have to go to work. You still have to go to school. You still have to tend to your children and all of those things, right? So stoicism says, no, you don't have to be a stoic. You don't have to be rigid and say, no, this does not affect me. You sit down, you journal, and you write down, okay, sad right now, feeling anxious, feeling angry, feeling outraged, right? So this is something that I've started seeing also with the pandemic. The anxiety is increasing and social media is getting all much worse and it's multiplying. So for me, exercise is my reply, my language to say, not saying anything, not thinking about anything, I'm exercising and that's how I respond. It's a pandemic and a lot of things we started outing in social media, inactivity, all of those things, right? Social media in and of itself, it's a place where we need to practice temperance. So that's where you say, okay, instead of having a dinner on my phone, I can have it on my PC. I've seen with a lot of things that we've interacted with in modern days, going back to the basics sometimes is the best thing. As with language learning, maybe you're not ready as yet for the complicated sentence structures, you can start with speaking that language. And not only for linguistics, but also for languages that you need to speak in life and other areas. So for example, in engineering, someone might say, okay, yes, you post this productivity content. So that means you always know what to do. No, I didn't. The first attempt to study engineering was absolutely horrible because I had gone in there with a fixed mindset. So now then you start learning other languages of managing your life and, you know, getting your things in order and resting and recovery and all of those things. So boiling it down to the basics, for me, that's what I found that in difficult times, hit back onto the basics. They will never fail you. They've carried us so many great people throughout life and they will carry you too. Yeah, that's true. That's always good to remember. Now, for someone who might be in your position, Andile, why is it so important to have short form and long form content available? Wow, that's a, that's a very good question. I'll firstly start off with long form content. I'm a big fan of Dr. Carl Newport. He promotes what is called the deep life. So uh, a life of focus and life of being very deliberate and intentional with how you do things. So I think uh, non-form content teaches you how to do that because if it's an interview, you're synthesizing the thoughts of two people that have thought about certain ideas for a very long time. Maybe they have done their research or they've lived it. They have skin in the game and they've lived it. A danger of the current world that we live in with social media, you get caught up in your own thoughts. When you're listening to a podcast, most of the time you're expected to suspend your thoughts and act as a mediator, look from a bird's eye view, and watch these thoughts interchange. So while watching or while listening to long-form content, 
I believe for people in the developing countries, it could teach us a healthy way to debate, right? I'm sure you've tried to listen to a podcast while typing something. That is <laughs> always for me personally, that has not worked. Because someone will mention something, a couple of phrases, but now I can't apply the context to it. And that's where I think two short form social media platforms run the risk of making things very black and white, making things very binary, one or zero, right? Where either you agree with me or don't agree with me. And we're gonna interact in 140 or 240 characters. Whereas in, in, in long form podcasts and long form books and, and, and videos, you're able to see the nuance. And then with short form content, it balances out the danger that comes with long form content. And that is analysis paralysis, where you're just thinking about things, you don't do anything. Yes, you listen to a two hour lecture about productivity, but are you going to implement it or just going to chill out on the couch and veg out again? That's where I see short form content bridging that gap to say, look, I have a problem now. This particular problem that I need to solve is me getting out of bed quite quicker. And here's uh, 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 five tips podcast to help me do so. And you're like, okay, I'm going to take idea number five and I'm going to implement that. I'm going to test that out for two weeks. So it enables people in developing countries or anywhere else to take big ideas like accountability, like self-discipline and diffuse them to small ideas and make them micro to say, okay, from this small bite-sized idea, this is what I'm going to experiment. Yeah, that's a nice breakdown. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Okay. I would recommend uh, Deep Questions of Calvin. It's absolutely nice. <laughs> I got to check that out. Is that a book or is that more of a video series? Where can I find that? Also, it's a, a podcast you can find it on any of the streaming platforms. So uh, it's a questions format. So people asking questions about productivity and he has a deep dive into it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got to check that out then. Yes, it's right very great. <laughs> 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 well, Andila, you have definitely blown our minds and given us the other side of South Africa that we don't often see in the news. So I thank you so much for being willing to let us in to see if what's really going on. But how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your projects as a mechanical engineer, as a podcaster, as this person passing on knowledge? Where can they find you? Well, thank you so much. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much, Gary, for having me on. Uh, more than anything, this was a very good conversation. You focused in on big ideas and try to make them approachable for everyone. I think that's a very great skill that you have. Another thing to learn about South Africa, we have beautiful coastlines. So this is me marketing South Africa to everyone else. <laughs> we have beautiful coastlines. We have beautiful mountains. We have beautiful grasslands. There's a lot of animals that you can see if you're that type of person. We have a uh, good nightlife uh, if you're that type of person too. So that's another thing that you can learn about South Africa. And yes, you can still have your favorite ride sharing services and make it to your place sharing service or Airbnb. You can still do that in this beautiful African country. So that's another thing you need to learn about South Africa. And lastly, I'm humbled with this. You could check out my LinkedIn profile. I post every now and then short blobs on productivity, on engineering, or STEM, or STEAM. 
And the A in STEAM is for art, making engineering approachable and beautiful. Like how you've done with your podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. It's like, what does the A stand for? Now I know. But yeah, everyone, Africa is not a country, number one. Yes. And people have internet there. Andile is working from home with his wonderful <laughs> connection here. So it's not uncommon for people to have very good internet, a lot of the same quote-unquote basic services that people maybe underestimate. So Africa is on the rise. Can't wait to see what is going to happen in South Africa and, of course, in the other big economies like Ethiopia and Nigeria. There's a lot of stuff going on in Africa right now. But also, everyone... If you get a chance, please check out Andina's podcast, Push Start. There are a lot of good points there. As he said, there's some long form interviews and some short forms just to give you that next little bit of a snack of information to get you to the next step. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabby. Yeah, no problem, Andina. I really appreciate it. Still want more? First, subscribe or follow the Clever Hybrids podcast wherever you're listening to this, and you can binge listen to our 30 plus episodes. If you want help to create a podcast or content for your business, check out our website, cleverhybrids.com. And as always, welcome to the Clever Hybrids tribe. This is Gabby V signing off. See you next time. <laughs>